DNC 101, the key to Isaiah and the Doctrine and Covenants. So beginning in DNC 101, verse 43. And now I will show unto you a parable that you may know my will concerning the redemption of Zion. Now implicit in this very first verse are three points. First, that Zion would be established. Second, that Zion would fall. Do you have to redeem something that hasn't fallen or been ransomed? No. And third, that Zion would be redeemed. So the whole point of this parable is to give a prophecy about how Zion would be established, how it would fall, and how it would be redeemed. Verse 44. A certain nobleman had a spot of land very choice. And he said unto his servants, go ye unto my vineyard, even upon this very choice piece of land, and plant 12 olive trees. Now, it's important to understand as we read uh, the parable of the redemption of Zion, that everything in this parable is metaphorical of something else, and specifically metaphorical of what happened during Joseph Smith's ministry to establish Zion, metaphorical about how Zion would fall, and metaphorical in the last days, how Zion would be redeemed. And this parable is the key to unlocking the sealed book of Doctrine and Covenants, as it is the key to unlocking the sealed book of Isaiah. Because both the book of Isaiah and the Doctrine of Covenants uh, are primarily prophecies of end-time events. And they both employ similar literary technique of using historical precedent as end-time metaphor. Now, the nobleman in verse 44 is the Lord. A spot of land very choice. I am going to cross-reference Ether chapter 2, starting in verse 9. And now we can behold the decrees of God concerning this land, that it is a land of promise, and whatsoever nation shall possess it shall serve God, or they shall be swept off when the fullness of his wrath shall come upon them. And the fullness of his wrath cometh upon them when they are ripened in iniquity. For behold, this is a land which is choice above all other lands. Wherefore, he that doth possess it shall serve God or shall be swept off. For it is the everlasting decree of God. And it is not until the fullness of iniquity among the children of the land that they are swept off. And this cometh unto you, O ye Gentiles or members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that ye may know the decrees of God, that ye may repent and not continue in your iniquities. Until the fullness come, that he may not bring down the fullness of the wrath of God upon you, as the inhabitants of the land have hitherto done. Behold, this is a choice land, and whatsoever nation shall possess it shall be free from bondage, and from captivity, and from all other nations under heaven, if they will but serve the God of the land, who is Jesus Christ, who hath been manifested by the things which have been written. Now, the land which 
Moroni spoke of in ether is the land of North America. And the land being referred to in DNC 101.44 as a choice land um, is also North America, which was kept as a land of freedom for the coming forth of the fullness of the gospel. Not only the first time, but also a second time. And we also have the metaphor of servants. Now, these servants are also called the first elders. They're also called in DNC 88, the first labors in the last kingdom. And they are they who with Joseph were given the task to establish Zion. The vineyard is the establishment of the restoration of the gospel and the the beginning and the continuation of baptizing um, converts into it by proper power and authority. And plant 12 olive trees. The olive trees we know from other of Joseph Smith's writings represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And set watchmen round about them and build a tower that one may overlook the land round about to be a watchman upon the tower that mine olive trees may not be broken down when the enemy shall come to spoil and to take upon themselves the fruit of my vineyard. So we have watchmen upon the tower. You know, watchmen are the appointed representatives of the Lord who are supposed to take care of and shepherd the flock or tend to the vineyard. You know, the vineyard being the members of the church. A tower. Well, if you start at the bottom floor of a tower and you go to the top of the tower, you're ascending. Well, that's precisely what the tower in this parable represents. It represents ascension. And it could be characterized in the apostolic charge that Oliver Cowdery gave to the newly called 12 apostles to the uh, Church of the Latter-day Saints in 1835. Paraphrasing, he said, you have come this far based on other men's testimonies. Now you must part the veil, see the face of God, and be ordained by Jesus Christ. Well, this would entail entering into the rest of the Lord. And it's impossible to enter into the rest of the Lord until we receive the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. And to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, we know that we need to repent of our sins, that we need to be baptized by water, that we need to enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. And when we've done so, Christ will plead our case before Father. And when he receives permission from Father to adopt us as sons or daughters, then is the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, authorized to be performed, which does not happen when we're confirmed a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. After we've received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, then, as instructed by Nephi, if we will continue to feast upon the words of Christ, meaning seeking after receiving and acting on revelation, we'll be instructed in all things that we should do to part the veil and enter into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory. 
which is more than to see Christ in vision. Entering into the rest of the Lord is having an ascension experience like Moses or like Nephi had, where they ascend to that high mountain, which is not an earthly mountain, but the heavenly mountain or the seventh heaven and come into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory and thereby become as is outlined in DNC 7654 members of the church of the firstborn, the celestial order of the gospel. So, you know, these servants were to hearken unto the doctrine of Christ. They were to start the path of ascension and they were to do what was required of them to ascend. Now, in the last part of verse 45, we find out that the enemy is going to be coming to spoil and to take upon themselves the fruit of my vineyard. Well, what is the fruit of the vineyard? We have the metaphor of fruit in parables and allegories throughout scripture. And most of the time, good fruit means that God's people have received the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost, thus becoming his sons or daughters. And so the enemy uh, taking upon themselves the fruit of the vineyard means that the enemy would either lure away those who have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, or would prevent the main body of saints, which is what actually happened from receiving the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost and thus becoming Christ's sons or daughters. And again, it's not if the enemy would come, but when. And the bulwark against the enemy being successful in laying up fruit unto himself, the enemy, is that the watchmen build the tower um, and stand faithfully upon it. Verse 46. Now the servants of the noblemen went and did as the Lord commanded them and planted the olive trees and built a hedge round about and set watchmen and began to build a tower. So these initial servants started out on the correct and proper course. And they did, in fact, start the establishment of Zion. They began the gathering of Israel, and they started the course of ascension through the doctrine of Christ. Now, in verse 47, um, we have a reversal of circumstances. As most, but not necessarily all, of the servants began to become lazy. And while they were yet laying the foundation thereof, which is the foundation of the establishment of Zion, and from this parable we learn that Joseph Smith would only have the opportunity to lay the foundation of the restoration. But because of the other servants and the saints, the restoration would be cut short. And it would require that Joseph Smith would return at a later date, shortly before the second coming of Jesus Christ, to finish the work of the restoration. And 
gathering out the strength of the Lord's house. But this is the establishment of the Lord's house. And while they were yet laying the foundation, verse 47 thereof, they began to say among themselves, and what need hath my Lord of this tower? Or in other words, um, to offer up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit, which is what is required for the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then afterward to enter into the rest of the Lord. It takes the complete commitment of one's entire life. And these servants, um, the majority, although not including Joseph Smith and just a few others, were not willing to pay the price to build the tower or to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and enter into the rest of the Lord. Verse 48, and consulted for a long time, saying among themselves, what need hath my Lord of this tower, seeing this is a time of peace. And this reminds me of the statement that Joseph Smith made to the Relief Society um, shortly before his death, in which he said, your minds have been darkened because you have relied too much upon me and have neglected your own relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, their problem wasn't that they were listening to too many sermons of Joseph Smith. The problem was they weren't putting it into practice. They would hear with their ears and draw close to the Lord with their lips, but their hearts were yet still far from him. They would not offer up the sacrifice of broken heart and contrite spirit. Therefore, they could not become Christ's daughters to the general saints' sons and daughters um, because they would not do what was required to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, they could never enter into the rest of the Lord, which was the whole mission of Joseph Smith because it is the privilege of God's people in every generation in which there is an open dispensation by following the doctrine of Christ, that his people might enter into his rest while in their mortality, which rest is the fullness of his glory. And, you know, it was especially important that the people be shown the path by the leadership. Now, in the next verse, we're going to find out that we have another layer of leadership under Joseph who are not only lazy, but also wicked. Verse 49, might not this money be given to the exchangers for there is no need of these things in this parable. Money represents the same thing that money represents today. It's a, it's a store of work and effort. And so this layer of leadership or those servants who should have been watchmen um, instead of investing their life, their time, their effort, their work in the, <clears throat> in the doctrine of Christ and the path of ascension, they invested these things in Babylon, which is who the exchangers are. And verse 50, and while they were yet at variance one with another, they became very slothful, and they hearkened not unto the commandments of their Lord. 
And the enemy came by night and broke down the hedge. Now, what is the hedge? The hedge is brought up for the first time in verse 46. The hedge is the teaching by leadership of the doctrine of Christ to the members of the church. And then the members of the church um, living the doctrine of Christ, actually entering into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, that they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. For if leadership is doing what is required of them to build the tower, and membership is doing what is required of them to have a strong hedge, it does not matter how strong the power of the enemy is that comes to destroy the vineyard they cannot get through. However, um, the hedge was not built because most of the members of the church refused, as we read in DNC 84, to enter into the new covenant in the Book of Mormon, which Christ gives in 3 Nephi chapter 9, verse 20. And in 3 Nephi 9, verse 20, Christ says, And ye shall offer as a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. That is the new covenant in the Book of Mormon. And by 1832, the Lord is giving the saints a warning in DNC 84 that if they don't repent and return and soften their hearts and enter into this new and everlasting covenant that there would remain a scourge and a judgment to be poured out upon them. Well, the scourge and judgment is represented here in verse 51 by the enemy came by night and broke down the hedge. And the servants of the nobleman arose and were affrightened and fled. And the enemy destroyed their works and broke down the olive trees. Um, as a cross-reference, if we go to DNC 124. After the church came under condemnation in 1832, as we read in DNC 84 for rejecting the new covenant in the Book of Mormon. The Lord gave the saints chance after chance after chance to repent and return and receive everything back which had been taken from them including the fullness of the priesthood um, and the fullness of the gospel the terrestrial order but they would not and so the lord gave them another warning in nauvoo recorded in dnc 124 that if they would not we would stand rejected as a church with our dead verse 28 says for there is not a place found on earth that he may come to and restore again that which was lost unto you or which he hath taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. This fullness of the priesthood is the first order of Melchizedek priesthood, the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood. The authority to officiate in the church of Christ and to perform the ordinances that pertain to the terrestrial order, both baptism by water and fire and the Holy Ghost versus the ordinances in the preparatory gospel, which is baptism of water by the Aaronic priesthood. Verse 31, 
But I command you, all ye my saints, to build a house unto me, i.e. the the Navu temple. And I grant unto you a sufficient time to build a house unto me. And during this time, your baptism shall be acceptable unto me. But behold, at the end of this appointment, your baptisms for your dead shall not be acceptable unto me. And if you do not, and if you do not these things at the end of the appointment, you shall be rejected as a church with your dead, saith the Lord your God. Well, going back to DNC 101, this is precisely what is represented in the parable of redemption of Zion. When we read in verse 51 that the enemy came by night, broke down the hedge, and the servants of the nobleman arose and were affrighted and fled. And the enemy destroyed their works and broke down the olive trees. Or we were left in the condition of being rejected as a church with our dead. Verse 52. Now behold, the nobleman, the Lord of the vineyard, called upon his servants. And he said unto them, why? What is the cause of this great evil? Ought ye not to have done even as I commanded you, and after ye had planted the vineyard, and built the hedge round about, and set watchmen upon the walls thereof, built the tower also, and set a watchman upon the tower, and watched for my vineyard, and not have fallen asleep, lest the enemy should come upon you. And behold, the watchman upon the tower would have seen the enemy while he was yet afar off, and then ye could have made ready and kept the enemy from breaking down the hedge thereof and saved my vineyard from the hands of the destroyer. Which means the vineyard wasn't saved from the hands of the destroyer. And so around the time of the death of Joseph, we stood rejected as a church with our dead. But as we're going to find out, that even in the rejected as a church with our dead order of the gospel, which is one step below the preparatory gospel, the Lord still called the LDS church my house. And he still continued to gather his people into it because it was what was left of the restoration. And to these people, before the second coming of Jesus Christ, the original servant would return to finish the restoration of the gospel and gather out from among the Latter-day Saints, those whom the Lord calls the strength of my house to lead them on an end time exodus, which would culminate with meeting up with Enoch, the return of his city and establishing new Jerusalem. Verse 55. In verse 55, we have a reversal of circumstances. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants. Now, one of the original servants, and this servant has been gone for a very long time. Go and gather together the residue of my servants. Well, we're talking about the same servants that we started out with in verse 44, but it's not all of them. It's a residue because most of them did not do what was required to qualify to return with Joseph um, to finish the restoration and redeem Zion. But some of them did. And these are the residue of the servants, the first labors in the last kingdom. 
go and gather together the residue of my servants and take all the strength of my house. Okay, that my house is the members of the church and, you know, really can include all the various members of the restoration branches who have access to the fullness of the gospel through the pages of the Book of Mormon. Which are my warriors, my young men, and they that are of middle aged also among all my servants. Now, this is not talking about biological age. This is talking about willingness to enter into the new covenant and to wear one's life out in the service of our God. Who are the strength of mine house, save those only whom I have appointed to tarry. Well, who are those that have been appointed to tarry? Well, they're translated beings like John the Revelator, uh, the three Nephites, and those who comprise the initial group of the 144,000. And regarding them, we go to DNC 77. We find that in verse 14 and verse 9, that it's John the Revelator who is the servant who is appointed to head up the 144,000. And his mission runs parallel to Joseph Smith's mission in his return in that uh, the 144 are to work with the elect on the end time exodus. The elect meaning those who have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost to help them ascend the next spiritual uh, ladder or rung of the ladder to the church of the firstborn or enter into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory. Uh, verse 11 in DNC 77, where do we to understand by the sealing of the 144,000 out of all the tribes of Israel, 12,000 out of every tribe answer we're to understand that those who are sealed are high priests ordained into the holy order of God to administer the everlasting gospel for they are they who are ordained out of every nation, kindred tongue and people by the angels to whom is given power over the nations of the earth to bring as many as will come to the church of the firstborn. And again, the context for this work is on the end time exodus that we're going to be covering in DNC 103, which is part of the commentary on the parable of the redemption of Zion. Verse 56 in DNC 101, go ye straightway unto the land of my vineyard and redeem my vineyard for it is mine. I have bought it with money. Now, do you, again, do you have to redeem something? that hasn't fallen or been ransomed. You do not. Well, what does the Lord mean? It is mine. I have bought it with money. Well, again, it's a metaphor for time and effort. And in this circumstance, blood and sweat. For Christ has engraven his people upon the palms of his hands. Verse 57, therefore get ye straightway unto my land, break down the walls of mine enemies, throw down their tower and scatter their watchmen. So Joseph, as we read at the verse head of verse 55, the first thing he is to do is to gather together the residue of the servants who return with him. And then they are to gather out the strength of the Lord's house. 
And here is a second mission. Break down the walls of mine enemies, throw down their tower and scatter their watchmen. And I would ask you to ask the Lord, who are the enemies that the Lord is referring to in verse 57? That before the end time exodus starts, Joseph and the servants are to expose their hidden works of darkness. Throw down their tower and scatter their watchmen. Now, as a cross-reference, in DNC 103, verses 21 and 22, Verily, verily, I say unto you that my servant Joseph Smith Jr. is the man to whom I liken the servant, to whom the Lord of the vineyard spake in the parable which I have given unto you. Therefore, let my servant Joseph Smith Jr. say unto the strength of my house, my young men, And the middle age, gather yourselves together unto the land of Zion, upon the land which I have bought with money that has been consecrated unto me. So, the Lord declares, and not only here in DNC 103, but in other places that we will read as well, that Joseph Smith is the man who returns as the Lord's end time servant. And what we're going to find out. Um, as we get into DNC 103 um, and the Book of Mormon and Isaiah, that this servant is also he who was called the Davidic servant in Isaiah. Verse 58. And inasmuch as they gather together against you, avenge me of mine enemies, that by and by I may come with the residue of my house and possess the land. And the servant, Joseph Smith, said unto his Lord, when shall these things be? Because remember, this is a prophecy. So Joseph Smith didn't realize until um, Emma wrote the letter that was delivered to Joseph as Joseph was headed um, with his brother Hiram to the Rocky Mountains, saying, Joseph, your friends are calling you cowards. At which point he said, If my life is of no worth to my friends, it is of no worth to me. And he turned around and he surrendered himself uh, at Carthage jail. And at that point, he knew that the redemption of Zion would not take place during his first ministry. But he didn't know until then. And the servant said unto his Lord, when shall these things be? And verse 60, and he said unto his servant, when I will, go ye straightway and do all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And this shall be my seal and blessing upon you, a faithful and wise steward in the midst of my house, a ruler in my kingdom. And his servant went straightway and did all things whatsoever the Lord commanded him. And after many days, all things were fulfilled. Again, verily I say unto you, I will show unto you my wisdom in me concerning all the churches. Now, churches as used in the Doctrine and Covenants is a bit different usage than how we use the term today. It's not talking about, you know, the Mormons, the Presbyterians, and the Catholics. The churches are the various groups of people 
who when the end time servant and the servants declare the doctrine of Christ and the servant opens again the heavens, those who receive it with gladness and are associated together um, either by geographical proximity or, you know, friendship, you know, these are the churches being referred to. Inasmuch as they are willing to be guided in a right and proper way for their salvation, that the work of the gathering together of my saints may continue. Well, the reason that it has to continue is because it caught cut short during Joseph's first ministry. That I may build them up unto my name upon holy places. For the time of harvest is come and my word must needs be fulfilled. Therefore, I must gather together my people according to the parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, there are some who want to relegate DNC 101 strictly to a historical context, i.e. Zion's camp. But as we go through and do the cross-referencing, you'll see that um, the redemption of Zion clearly was not fulfilled during Joseph Smith's first ministry, certainly not during Zion's camp, but it has an end time um, context. The separation of the final separation of wheat and tares did not happen at Zion's camp or any time during Joseph Smith's lifetime, but it does happen during his second ministry. Therefore, I must gather together my people according to the parable of the wheat and the tares, that the wheat may be secured in the garners to possess eternal life and to be crowned with celestial glory when I shall come in the kingdom of my father to reward every man according as his work shall be. While the tares shall be bound in bundles, their bands made strong, that they may be burned with unquenchable fire. Again, this is the separation between wheat and tares. Uh, talked about in the Doctrine and Covenants when it says the cleansing will begin among, um, you know, my own house and a desolating scourge will go forth. DNC 86, verses one through seven. Verily thus saith the Lord unto you, my servants, concerning the parable of the wheat and the tares. Okay, these servants who are the residue of the servants talked about in DNC 101 verse 55, who return with Joseph Smith, which includes Joseph Smith Jr. Behold, verily I say unto you, the field was the world, and the apostles were the sowers of the seed. And after they have fallen asleep, the great persecutor of the church, the apostate, the whore, even Babylon, that maketh all nations to drink of her cup, in whose hearts the enemy, even Satan, sitteth to reign, Behold, he soweth the tares. Wherefore, the tares choke the wheat and drive the church into the wilderness. But behold, in the last days, even now while the Lord is beginning to bring forth the word, and the blade is springing up and is yet tender. Behold, verily I send to you, the angels are crying unto the Lord day and night, who are ready and waiting to be sent forth to reap down the fields. But the Lord saith unto them, pluck not up the tares, while the blade is yet tender. For verily your faith is weak, lest you destroy 
the wheat also. Therefore, let the wheat and the tares grow together until the harvest is fully ripe. Then ye shall first gather out the wheat from among the tares. And after the gathering of the wheat, behold, and lo, the tares are bound in bundles, and the field remaineth to be burned. Again, the, the culmination of the parable of redemption of Zion in DNC 101 was the separation of the wheat and the tares. And, you know, the, the angels to whom was given power to begin reaping down the fields. Again, this did not take place in Joseph Smith's first ministry, but it is about to take place in our generation. DNC 103. Now, DNC 103 is actually the commentary on the parable of the redemption of Zion and the continuation of the prophecy about what is yet to happen. Verse one, verily I say unto you, my friends. Okay, who are these friends? Well, these friends are the residue of the servants and the original servant, Joseph Smith Jr. Behold, I give unto you a revelation and commandment. that You may know how to act in the discharge of your duties concerning the salvation and redemption of your brethren who have been scattered on the land of Zion. Now this scattering took place under Joseph Smith's first ministry, and this scattering has continued even until this day. And we find ourselves in this scattered state as members of the church. And why does the Lord have to give them instruction? Because... In their return, they have to awake and arise to who they are and what their mission is. And so, in reality, most of the Doctrine and Covenants is an instruction manual to the servants who return about how to fulfill their end-time mission. Being driven and smitten by the hands of mine enemies on whom I will pour out my wrath without measure in mine own time. For I have suffered them thus far that they might fill up the measure of their iniquities, that their cup might be full. And again, um, you know, I asked you to inquire of the Lord, you know, who these enemies are. And there has been sufficient time since I asked you until now for the spirit to have whispered to you who these enemies are. And that those who call themselves after my name might be chastened for a little season with a sore and grievous chastisement. Because even the residue who returned with Joseph, even though they started out on the right path and were true and diligent, most of them wandered for a period of time down strange paths, but eventually repented and returned sufficiently that they might qualify again to again be called. Verse four again, and that those who call themselves after my name might be chastened for a little season with a sore and grievous chastisement because they did not hearken altogether unto the precepts and commandments which I gave unto them during Joseph Smith's first ministry. But verily I see unto you 
that I have decreed a decree which my people shall realize inasmuch as they hearken from this very hour unto the counsel which I, the Lord their God, shall give unto them. And might I add that this hour has in fact started. Behold, they shall, for I have decreed it, begin to prevail against mine enemies from this very hour. And by hearkening to observe all the words which I, the Lord their God, shall speak unto them, they shall never cease to prevail until the kingdoms of the world are subdued under my feet, and the earth is given unto the saints to possess it forever and ever. But inasmuch as they keep not my commandments, and hearken not to observe all my words, the kingdoms of the world shall prevail against them. For they were set to be a light unto the world and to be the saviors of men. And inasmuch as they are not the saviors of men, they are salt that has lost its savor and thenceforth is good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. So those who return with Joseph have been called, but they are only chosen if they observe all of God's commandments. And so to his people, so to his people will only qualify as the strength of the Lord's house. If they hearken to the voice of the spirit and are obedient to all of his commandments. Otherwise, those who were called to be gatherers and leaders and the general population to whom they were to minister those who do not hearken to all of God's commandments then become salt that is lost in savor. Thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of man. Verse 11. But verily I say unto you, I have decreed that your brethren which have been scattered shall return to the lands of their inheritances and shall build up the waste places of Zion. Okay, Zion doesn't become a waste place overnight. It's taken several generations. For after much tribulation, as I have said unto you in a former commandment, cometh the blessing. Behold, this is the blessing which I have promised after your tribulations and the tribulations of your brethren. Your redemption and the redemption of your brethren, even their restoration to the land of Zion. To be established, no more to be thrown down. So it's, uh, it's a popular misunderstanding that the prophecies, that the restoration uh, would be in effect until the second coming of Jesus Christ, and there would never be another apostasy. That didn't apply to Joseph's first ministry. It applied to his second ministry. Nevertheless, if they pollute their inheritances, they shall be thrown down, and I will not spare them if they pollute their inheritances. So lest we think that we have done all that we need to do to qualify as the strength of the Lord's house, the Lord is giving us an understanding of the faithfulness that is yet required to qualify. But I say unto you, the redemption of Zion must needs come by power. Again, Zion must be redeemed because it fell. And it remained in that fallen state in the rejected as a church with your dead state for several generations. Therefore, I will raise up unto my people, a man who shall lead them like as Moses led the children of Israel. And we have cross references here to JST Genesis 50 and second Nephi 
chapter 3. Um, the Lord prophesying of to Joseph in Egypt about the latter-day Joseph who would rise up and would lead God's people on an exodus and would be responsible for gathering Israel from the four corners of the earth. Therefore, I will raise up unto my people a man who shall lead them like as Moses led the children of Israel. Now, it's important to make the distinction that um, there are two individuals who are likened unto Moses. The first is the prophet like unto Moses, who is Jesus Christ. And the second is the man like unto Moses, who is Joseph Smith. For ye are the children of Israel and the seed of Abraham. And ye must needs be led out of bondage by power and with a stretched out arm. Now, here we have Isaiah imagery. So in Isaiah, you know, we have the prophecy of God's people in the end time coming into bondage due to the efforts of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. That end time entity that amasses to itself all political, economic, and military power. And becomes the staff in the Lord's hand, left hand, to destroy the wicked who, according to Isaiah, is 90% of the earth's population before he's finished. And we see the final stages of laying the foundation of that tyranny and of that bondage with what they're doing with the vaccine and the coming vaccine passports. And soon we will be in a situation where no man will be able to buy or sell without the vaccine passport. You must needs be let out of bondage by power and with a stretched out arm. The stretched out arm is Isaiah imagery for the Lord's end time servant. And as your fathers were led at the first, even so shall the redemption of Zion be. Or in other words, the redemption of Zion begins with an end time exodus. Therefore, let not your hearts faint, for I say not unto you, as I said unto your fathers, mine angel shall go up before you, but not my presence. Notice angel singular and the presence of the Lord doesn't go before the children of Israel. Um, as they're led out of bondage by Moses out of Egypt. And that's standing in contrast to the end time exodus in verse 20. But I say unto you, mine angels, plural, shall go up before you and also my presence. And in time, you shall possess the goodly land. Well, angel and angels refer to those who have been ordained and sealed to the second order of Melchizedek priesthood, the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood, which was first restored to Joseph Smith on June 4th, 1831 at the Isaac Morley farm. And we read about this order of the priesthood in many places in scripture, including DNC 107, Alma 13, JST Genesis 14, Helaman chapter 10, DNC 76. In fact, let's quickly go to DNC 76. Verses 56 through 58. They are they who are priests and kings, not ordained to become priests and kings, but they are they who are priests and kings unto the Most High God. 
who have received of his fullness and of his glory. Meaning that they have already come into the presence of Jesus Christ in his glory, or they have entered into the rest of the Lord and not only into the rest of the Lord, but that Christ has also introduced them into father's presence and are priests of the most high after the order of Melchizedek, which was after the order of Enoch, which was after the order of the only begotten son. Again, this is the second order of Melchizedek priest of the patriarchal order. Wherefore, as it is written, they are God's little G, even the sons of God, big G. And verse 66, these are they who are come unto Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly place, the holiest of all. These are they who have come to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of Enoch and of the firstborn. These are they whose names are written in heaven where God and Christ are the judge of all. These are they who are just men made perfect through Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, who wrought out his perfect atonement through the shedding of his own blood. Back to DNC 103. So angels um, in this context are men who have been both ordained and sealed to this priesthood, this power. And in DNC 76, uh, verse 52, we learned that there are two parts to every priesthood. The first part is the ordination where a man receives authority. And the second part, after he has proven himself true and faithful through all manner of trials. And when the Lord can trust him with power in that priesthood, then that priesthood is sealed upon that man. And the man who was with the children of Israel anciently, who had been ordained and sealed to this power was Moses. That's why it's angels singular in verse 19. And the reason that it's angels plural in verse 20 is that not only is Joseph Smith with the strength of the Lord's house on the end time Exodus, and he has ascended to this level, but also the 144,000 will be working with the elect on the end time Exodus incognito to help them ascend to the next spiritual level, the church of the firstborn level entering into the rest of the Lord that they might qualify to enter into the gates of new Jerusalem, because that is the ascension level, which is required. Now also look in 20. My presence shall also go before you, but it didn't with the children of Israel. Well, does this mean that Christ himself is coming down and walking with the strength of the Lord's house on the end time Exodus? Not quite. It means that the elect on the end time exodus are continuing the path of ascension or building the tower in the hedge and that they are entering into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory. And that is how the presence of the Lord is going with his saints on the end time exodus. Verse 21, verily, verily, I say unto you that my servant Joseph Smith Jr. is the man to whom I liken the servant to whom the Lord of the vineyard spake in the parable which I've given unto you. Therefore, let my servant Joseph Smith Jr. say unto the strength of my house, my young men, my middle-aged, gather yourselves together unto the land of Zion upon the land which I have bought with money that has been consecrated unto me. And verse 24, and insomuch as mine enemies come against you to drive you from my goodly land, which I have consecrated to be the land of Zion, even from your own lands after these testimonies which have been brought before me against them. You shall curse them, 
And whomsoever ye curse, I will curse. And ye shall avenge me of mine enemies. And just a note, although Jesus Christ and Joseph Smith in their first ministries came as lambs. Christ in his second coming comes as a lion as, and as a warrior. And so does Joseph Smith. And my presence shall be with you, even in avenging me of mine enemies unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Let no man be afraid to lay down his life for my sake. For whoso layeth down his life for my sake shall find it again. And whoso is not willing to lay down his life for my sake is not my disciple. Let's cross-reference Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23 is the entire chapter is a prophecy about the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in our generation. But I just want to read a few verses. Okay. Jeremiah 23. In verses 5 through 9 and verse 20. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. And we're going to be defining this righteous branch in DNC 113 and Isaiah 11. This righteous branch is the strength of the Lord's house recovered a second time, who will bring forth uh, good fruit. And a king shall reign and prosper. This is the Davidic servant, the Davidic king, Joseph Smith Jr. And shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. Because it is the responsibility of the end time servant of Joseph Smith Jr. to gather Israel from the four corners of the earth, starting with gathering out the strength of the Lord's house among the Latter-day Saints, among the restoration branches, uh, starting the Exodus, then taking the fullness of the gospel to a remnant of Jacob or the Lamanites, affecting a separation of wheat and tares among them, the wheat join the Exodus. Then the fullness of the gospel can be taken to the rest of the Gentile nation, North America. New Jerusalem is established. Once New Jerusalem is established, there will be other men, servants, who will also by then have ascended the level of king and priest, who will have had the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon them. And then under Joseph's direction, they will be sent to the four corners of the earth to affect the gathering of Israel, including to the Jews. And there will be a separation of wheat and tares among the Jews. Um, these servants who will be sent from New Jerusalem to the Jews will help the Jews establish old Jerusalem again as a holy city and build that temple, which must precede the second coming of Jesus Christ. And will also be responsible for leading the last 10 tribes back to New Jerusalem. So verse six, again, in his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called. And here Christ gives his end time servant one of his titles. The Lord, our righteousness. 
Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they will no more say, the Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And why will they no longer talk about Moses and his exodus? Because the exodus that Joseph Smith will lead will encompass, by the time it's finished, the entire earth. And from the beginning of that exodus, when people talk about the exodus from then and forever, they will be talking about the exodus that Joseph Smith leads. Verse 8, but the Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country. Talking about the return of the lost ten tribes under the direction of Joseph Smith. It's not the other way around. And from all countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. And verse 20, just to um, set the end time context so that there's no misunderstanding about what time period Jeremiah is prophesying of. And the anger of the Lord shall not return until he have executed, until he have performed the thoughts of his heart in the latter days. Ye shall consider it perfectly. End time context. Let's go to JST Genesis 9. JST Genesis 9 is the continuation of the continuation of the parable of redemption of Zion in DNC 103. So as Joseph leads the Lord's house and eventually Israel on an end time exodus. GST Genesis 9, verse 21. And the context here is the Lord is speaking to Noah about the covenant that he made with Noah's great-grandfather Enoch about the return of the city of Enoch to the earth in the last days before the second coming of Jesus Christ. And this commences on the end time Exodus led by Joseph. And the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant. The everlasting covenant is not what is outlined in DNC 132. It actually has nothing to do with marriage, especially not plural marriage. It has everything to do with the new covenant, whereby we become sons and daughters of Jesus Christ through offering up a broken heart and contrite spirit and receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then his extending his hand to us that we might, if we'll continue to feast upon the words of Christ, enter into his rest. That when men should keep all my commandments. Now, how is it possible for men to keep all of God's commandments? Does it require that we have a group of perfect men and women? No, it's not, it's not perfect. What it does mean is to keep all of God's commandments requires receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then as the words of Christ are placed into our hearts to feast upon them, meaning not only to seek after and to receive them, but also to obey. And when a man or woman has received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and is feasting upon the words of Christ, then they are keeping all of God's commandments. And before the city of Enoch can return, it is required that a sufficient number of men and women enter into this new and everlasting covenant, receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then continue to feast upon the words of Christ or keep 
all of God's commandments. Now, remember back in DNC 103, um, the chastisement of the original servants. Back in DNC 103, verse 4. And that those who call themselves after my name might be chastened for a little season with a sore and grievous chastisement because they did not hearken altogether unto the precepts and commandments which I gave unto them. But verily I say unto you that I have decreed a decree which my people shall realize insomuch as they hearken from this very hour unto the counsel which I, the Lord God, shall give unto them or inasmuch as they keep all my commandments. And again, the context for this verse is on the end time exodus. Zion should again come on the earth, the city of Enoch, which I have caught up unto myself. And this is mine everlasting covenant, that when thy posterity shall embrace the truth, the posterity of Enoch and Noah in the last days, when Joseph opens again the the heavens, which he has done, And the opportunity is again extended through the new and everlasting covenant to become Christ's sons and daughters through the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. That when thy posterity shall embrace the truth and look upward, then shall Zion look downward and all the heavens shall shake with gladness and the earth shall tremble with joy. This is the culmination of the end time exodus, at least the first portion. And the general assembly of the church of the firstborn shall come down out of heaven and possess the earth and shall have place until the end come. And this is mine everlasting covenant, which I made with thy father Enoch. Let's cross-reference DNC 105. Verses 1 through 18. Verily I say unto you who have assembled yourselves together, that ye may learn my will concerning the redemption of mine afflicted people. This should include all of us. Behold, I say unto you, were it not for the transgressions of my people speaking concerning the church and not individuals. So it was the church collectively, but not um, everyone individually who rejected the fullness of the gospel. There were a handful or two who were true and faithful. Behold, I say unto you, were it not for the transgressions of my people speaking concerning the church and not individuals, they might have been redeemed even now. So the redemption doesn't happen before um, Joseph Smith opens again the heavens in his second ministry. But behold, they have not learned to be obedient to the things which I required at their hands, but are full of all manner of evil and do not impart of their substance as become a saints to the poor and afflicted among them. And are not united according to the union required by the law of the celestial kingdom. And Zion cannot be built unless it is on the principles of the law of the celestial kingdom. Otherwise, I cannot receive her unto myself. And my people must needs be chastened until they learn obedience. If it must needs be by the things which they suffer. For the tribulation that is coming will cause men's hearts to fail them. But for some, it will cause them to repent and return. And instead of be estranged from their God, to bind them to him. I speak not concerning those who are appointed to lead my people, who are the first elders of my church, 
in their return. For they are not all under condemnation, but most. And that's why the NC 101.55 refers to them as the residue of the servants who return. But I speak concerning my churches abroad. There are many who will say, where is their God? Behold, he will deliver them in time of trouble. Otherwise, he will not go up unto Zion and will keep, will keep our monies. Therefore, in consequence of the transgressions of my people, it is expedient in me that mine elders should wait for a little season for the redemption of Zion. Again, this concept of the return. That they themselves may be prepared and that my people may be taught more perfectly and have experience and know more perfectly concerning their duty and the things which I require at their hands. And this cannot be brought to pass until mine elders are endowed with power from on high. Well, what is the first endowment of power from on high? The purpose for which the Kirtland and Nauvoo temples were built. It was the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And most members of the church have not received it. The second endowment is ordination to the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood, which was taken from the church in 1834. The next endowment would re- to be received power in that priesthood. The next endowment, whether for a man or a woman, would be to do what is required to enter into the rest of the Lord. Now, this is more than a vision. And this is more even than having Jesus Christ come down here and visit us as he did with the Nephites in 3rd Nephi 11, as he did with the apostles. This is having an ascension experience like Moses and like Nephi had. But I speak concerning my churches abroad. There are many who will say, where is their God? Behold, he will deliver them in time of trouble. Otherwise, we will not go up unto Zion and we will keep our monies. This is talking about the vast majority of the members of the church who, when the fullness of the gospel is proclaimed, will not receive it. Therefore, in consequence of the transgressions of my people, it is expedient in me that mine elders should wait for a little season for the redemption of Zion, that they themselves may be prepared, that they, my people, may be taught more perfectly and have experience, and know more perfectly concerning their duty and the things which I require at their hands. And this cannot be brought to pass until mine elders are endowed with power from on high. And we just talked about those endowments, the first one being the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, which the people are also to receive. For behold, I have prepared a great endowment. And we just discussed what those endowments are. And blessing to be poured out upon them, insomuch as they are faithful and continue in humility before me. Therefore, it is expedient in me that mine elders should wait for a little season, for the redemption Zion. For behold, I do not require at their hands to fight the battles of Zion. For as I said in a former commandment, even so will I fulfill, I will fight your battles. And the Lord offered this promise to the saints in Nauvoo that if they would repent and return, he'd restore them because it priesthood to them the fullness of the gospel, and that he would fight their battles, and then they would not be driven out of Nauvoo. But instead of repenting and returning, they were smitten and driven. 
Behold, the destroyer I have sent forth to destroy and lay waste to mine enemies. And not many years hence, they shall not be left to pollute mine heritage and to blaspheme my name upon the lands which I have consecrated for the gathering together of my saints. Behold, I have commanded my servant Joseph Smith Jr. to say to the strength of my house, again, showing the end time context. Even my warriors, my young men and middle aged to gather together for the redemption of my people and to throw down the towers of my enemies and scatter their watchmen. But the strength of my house have not hearkened unto my words. Um, talking about in the end times, even those who receive the message in large part are not doing all that is required of them to qualify as the strength of the Lord's house and to be led out on that end time exodus. But inasmuch as there are those who have hearkened unto my words, I have prepared a blessing and an endowment for them if they continue true and faithful. So those who continue true and faithful, once they receive the doctrine of Christ, who are willing to enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, give the Lord permission to give them whatever experiences are needed to fully come to a broken heart and contrite spirit that they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then the exact same thing to enter into his rest. These will God bless with the endowment of the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Melchizedek priesthood, and entering into his rest. And verses, verse 27 and then 30. And I will soften the hearts of the people as I did the heart of Pharaoh from time to time till my servant Joseph Smith Jr. and my elders whom I have appointed shall have time to gather up the strength of my house. And 30 through 41. And after these lands are purchased, I will hold the armies of Israel guiltless in taking possession of their own lands. Now, these lands were purchased with physical money during Joseph Smith's first ministry, but they will be claimed, reclaimed um, lawfully during his second. And of throwing down the towers of my enemies that may be, be upon them and scattering their watchmen and avenging me of mine enemies unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. But first let my army become very great and let it be sanctified before me that it may become fair as the sun clear as the moon and that her banners may be terrible unto all nations. That the kingdoms of this world may be constrained to acknowledge that the kingdom of Zion is in very deed the kingdom of our God. And his Christ, therefore, let us become subject unto her laws. Verily I say unto you, it is expedient in me that the first elders of my church should receive their endowment from on high in my house, which I have commanded to be built unto my name in the land of Kirtland. Again, historical precedent is end time metaphor. And let those commandments which I have given concerning Zion and her law be executed and fulfilled after her redemption. There has been a day of calling, but the time has come for a day of choosing 
For many are called, but few are chosen. And we are in that end period, for we have all been called, but which of us will be chosen? And let those be chosen that are worthy. And it shall be manifest unto my servant by the voice of the Spirit, those that are chosen, and they shall be sanctified. And Joseph um, has a part in this going from called to chosen. And inasmuch as they follow the counsel which they receive, they shall have power after many days to accomplish all things pertaining to Zion. And again, I say unto you, sue for peace, not only to the people that have smitten you, but also to all people. And lift up an ensign. And this ensign is a metaphor in Isaiah for the end time servant. Lift up an ensign of peace and make a proclamation of peace unto the ends of the earth. And make proposals for peace unto those who have smitten you according to the voice of the spirit, which is in you and all things shall work together for your good. DNC 85. Verse seven. And it shall come to pass that I, the Lord will send one mighty and strong holding the scepter of power in his hand, clothed with light for a covering whose mouth shall utter words, eternal words, while his bowels shall be a fountain of truth to set in order the house of God. It wouldn't need to be set in order if it wasn't out of order. And do you need further proof than the email that was sent a few weeks ago, admonishing us to trust in government and medical authorities? To set in order the house of God and to arrange by lot the inheritances of the saints whose names are found and the names of their fathers and of their children enrolled in the book of the law of God. And in DNC 113, verses 1 through 6, who is the stem of Jesse? Because remember, I said that the parable of redemption of Zion. DNC 101 in its commentary is the key to unlocking the sealed book of doctrine and covenants. Because once we have this key and we start reading the doctrine and covenants, we realize that about 90% of the prophecies in the doctrine and covenants had nothing to do with Joseph Smith's first ministry. They have to do with the second. They're all about our day and our generation. And it's also the key that unlocks the book of Isaiah to the next level. And so now let's look at how the parable of redemption of Zion unlocks the book of Isaiah to the next level. DNC 113 verse 1. Who is the stem of Jesse spoken of in the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth verse of the 11th chapter of Isaiah? Verily thus saith the Lord, it is Christ. So the stem of Jesse is Christ. And if we... Go to verse 2. Verse 3. What is the rod spoken of in the first verse of the 11th chapter of Isaiah that should come of the stem of Jesse? Verse 4. Behold, thus saith the Lord, it is a servant in the hands of Christ who is partly a descendant of Jesse as well as of Ephraim or of the house of Joseph on whom there is laid much power. And as a side note, Joseph Smith Jr., was of the house of Jesse through, through his mother, 
being a, being a descendant of Christ and Mary and of Ephraim through his father. And this rod, or in the Isaiah Institute's uh, translation, this shoot is Joseph Smith in his first ministry. And verse five, what is the root of Jesse spoken of in the 10th verse of the 11th chapter? Behold, thus saith the Lord, it is a descendant of Jesse as well as of Joseph, unto whom rightly belongs the priesthood and the keys of the kingdom for an ensign and for the gathering of my people in the last days. Ensign is a metaphor for the Lord's end time servant. And again, this refers to Joseph Smith in his second ministry. Um, who is both a descendant of Jesse, um, one of the progenitors of David through the line which Christ came, and also of Joseph. Now, if we go to Isaiah chapter 11, um, which is also 2 Nephi 21, 1 through 5, 10 through 12, 15 through 16. So 2 Nephi 21, which is Isaiah 11. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Okay, the stem of Jesse being Christ, the rod being Joseph Smith in his first ministry. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. The roots being Joseph Smith in his second ministry. And... You know, I like the Isaiah Institute's translation of this verse. A shoot will spring up from the stock of Jesse and a branch from its graft bear fruit. Well, a branch from its graft. So in this translation, this graft occurs through, you know, Joseph Smith in his second ministry. The branch brings forth fruit because Joseph Smith in his second ministry opens again the heavens. Um, the doctrine of Christ is declared and God's people again receive the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. Verse three, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes. You know, we skip verse two, verse two of second nephi chapter 21 uh, let's just recap with verse one now that we know all the metaphors and there shall come forth a rod joseph smith first ministry out of the stem of jesse christ and a branch shall grow out of his roots the branch is you know though the strength of the lord's house the roots being joseph smith in his second ministry and the branch of those who are gathered out for the end time exodus and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Notice him singular, even though two uh, individuals are talked about, but the two individuals are actually the same man, just different ministries. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of counsel and might and the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. 
and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, because he will do it by the power of the spirit. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove, reprove with equity. Now, righteousness is a metaphor for the Lord's end time servant, Joseph Smith, and shall judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth and shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall slay the wicked and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness, the girdle of his reins. Now, before we proceed to verse 10, let's cross reference Helaman chapter 10. So before the Lord's end time servant shows up on the scene, he will be ordained and sealed to the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood. And in Helaman 10, we have the account of Nephi, the brother of Lehi, the father of the Nephi, who is alive when Christ comes to the Nephites, being sealed to this order of the priesthood. And in the last verse, or in the last line of verse 3, a voice came unto him, Nephi, saying, Blessed art thou, Nephi, for those things which thou hast done, for I have beheld how thou hast with unweariness declared the word which I have given unto thee, unto this people, and that thou hast not feared them, and hast not sought thine own life, but hast sought my will, and to keep my commandments. And now, because thou hast done this with such unweariness, behold, I will bless thee forever, and I will make thee mighty in word and in deed, in faith and in works, yea, even that all things shall be done unto thee according to thy word. For thou shalt not ask that which is contrary to my will. Behold, thou art Nephi, and I am God. Behold, I declare it unto thee in the presence of mine angels, that ye shall have power over this people, and shall smite the earth with famine and with pestilence and destruction according to the wickedness of this people. Behold, I give unto you power that whatsoever you shall seal on earth shall be sealed in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And thus shall ye have power among this people. And thus, if you shall say unto this temple, it shall be rent in twain, it shall be done. And if you shall say unto this mountain, be thou cast down and become smooth, it shall be done. And behold, if you shall say that God shall smite this people, it shall come to pass. Now behold, I command you that you shall go and declare unto the people that thus saith the Lord God, who is almighty, except ye repent, ye shall be smitten even unto destruction. Back to Second Nephi chapter 21, verse 10. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, okay, Joseph Smith, which shall stand for an ensign of the people, okay, ensign being a symbol of the end time servant. So again, talking about Joseph Smith, to it shall the Gentiles or members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints first, and then ultimately the Gentile nation, North America, seek and his rest shall be glorious. Or in other words, he will teach people through the doctrine of Christ how to enter into the rest of the Lord by receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And it shall come to pass that in that day that the Lord shall set his hand. Okay, his hand, another metaphor for the Lord's end time servant, Joseph Smith. Again, the second time. Why a second time? Because the rod coming forth out of the stem of Jesse was the first time. The root is the second time. 
a second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Alam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign, the Lord's end time servant for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Exactly what happens under Joseph's direction once New Jerusalem is established. And verses 15 and 16. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. And one of the metaphors for North America is the Egyptians. And with his mighty wind, he shall shake his hand over the river. And shall smite it with seven streams and make men go over on dry shot. So we have both the destruction and the destructive force of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, those coming out of Assyria and Babylon. And we have also a reference to Joseph leading an end time exodus. Um, you know, the metaphors hearkening back to the Moses or the exodus of Moses and the children of Israel. And there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, the lost and tribes. Like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt, or in other words, uh, Joseph uh, has the responsibility to gather Israel, including the lost and tribes. First Nephi chapter 20. Um, which is also Isaiah 48, 13 through 16. And let's read out of Isaiah 48, verses 13 through 16. It was my hand that founded the earth, my right hand that stretched out the heavens. When I call them, they arise at once. So my hand... <laughs> a reference to the Lord's end time servant. So we get some insight at to some prior missions of Joseph Smith. He was one of those who under Christ's direction helped create the earth. And my right hand, another reference to the Lord's end time servant that stretched out the heavens. When I call them, they arise at once. All of you assemble in here. Who among you foretold these things? It is him Jehovah loves. So talking about Joseph Smith's first ministry, that 90% of the revelations in the Doctrine and Covenants wouldn't be fulfilled during his first ministry, but would be fulfilled during his second ministry. And this is one of the ways that we identify the Lord's end-time servant uh, at his return who shall perform his will in Babylon, his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. Now the Chaldeans are the people of Babylon. And so in Isaiah, Assyria is the political and military uh, leadership and force. Babylon is the religious. And so this perhaps gives us insight <clears throat> into DNC 101, who these enemies of the Lord are, if we understand who Babylon and the Chaldeans are. Verse 14, again, all of you assemble in here, 
who among you foretold these things? Well, the Lord's end time servant did in his first ministry. And now he's back. And it's a key to recognize him. Who shall perform his will in Babylon? Well, the end time servant shall perform God's will. His arm, the Lord's arm or his end time servant shall be against Babylon. We're talking both religious head and people who fight against their God. Come near me and hear this. I have not made predictions in secret. At their coming to pass, I have been present. Now my Lord Jehovah has sent me. His spirit is in me. All right. I have not made predictions in secret because his prophecies are um, recorded in the book Doctrine and Covenants. At their coming to pass, I have been present. Not in his first ministry, but in his second. Now my Lord Jehovah has sent me in his second ministry. His spirit is in me. He speaks by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. Now, in Isaiah 49, which is 1 Nephi 21. right? Isaiah 49, starting in verse 1. Hear me, O Isles, listen, you distant peoples. Jehovah called me before I was in the belly, before I was in my mother's womb. This is the Lord's end time servant speaking. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He has made me into a polished arrow. In his quiver, he has kept me secret. Now, for this, I want to actually go to the King James translation. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hath hid me and made me a polished shaft in his quiver, hath he hid me. Or in other words, in the return of the end time servant, he returns before he comes on the scene. And before he comes on the scene, this being hidden by the Lord is termed that he is a polished shaft in the quiver and hath hid me. So the end time servant is back. Um, he has not come on the scene. He has again opened the heavens. What is he doing? You know, first Nephi chapter 13 tells us what he is doing as he is hidden as a polished shaft in the quiver of the Lord. He's translating ancient scripture the brass plates, the Old Testament, the full record of the New Testament, or what Nephi calls the record of the 12 apostles, including the record of John the Baptist, and the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon. And verse 3, And he said unto me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. I had thought I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing. This is referring to a second or his first ministry, pardon me. I thought I have labored in vain because the vast majority of members of the church during his first ministry rejected the fullness of the gospel. And as a result, we incurred a scourge and a judgment became rejected as a church with our dead. I had thought I have labored in vain. 
I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. Yet my cause rested with Jehovah, my recompense with my God. For now Jehovah has said, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to restore Jacob to him. Israel having been gathered to him for I won honor in the eyes of Jehovah when my God became my strength. Or in other words, because Joseph Smith proved himself true and faithful in his first ministry, he qualified to come back a second time during a second ministry to gather Israel and to finish the restoration. He said, this is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore those preserved of Israel. Or in other words, his mission will encompass even more than finishing the restoration and gathering Israel. I will also appoint you to be a light to the nations that my salvation may be to the end of the earth. Salvation being a metaphor for Christ in his second coming. Verse seven, thus says Jehovah, the redeemer and the Holy one of Israel to him who is despised as a person who is abhorred by his nation, a servant to those in authority. Kings shall rise up when they see you. Princes shall prostrate themselves because Jehovah keeps faith with you because the Holy one of Israel has chosen you or God's people who are the humble followers of Jesus Christ will recognize him in his return. Thus says Jehovah at a favorable time. I have answered you in the day of salvation. I have come to your aid. I have created you and appointed you to be a covenant of the people to restore the land and reapportion the desolate estates. Or in other words, the end time servant has been appointed to restore the Lord's new and everlasting covenant. This is what it means that the restoration is ongoing and that Joseph only had the opportunity to uh, lay the foundation of the restoration during his first ministry, but that is completed during his second ministry. And continuing. Thus says Jehovah, verse 7, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who is despised as a person, who is abhorred by his nation, a servant to those in authority. Kings rise up when they see you. Princes shall prostrate themselves because Jehovah keeps faith with you, because the Holy One of Israel has chosen you, or because of his restoration on the Exodus, there will be those who will ascend to the level of king and priest and under his direction will be sent out to the four corners of the earth to finish the gathering of Israel. Thus says Jehovah at a favorable time. I have answered you in the day of salvation. I came to your aid. I have created you and appointed you to be a covenant or to restore the covenant to the people, to restore the land and reapportion the desolate estates or to establish uh, the foundation of new Jerusalem and old Jerusalem to say to the captives, come forth and to those in darkness, show yourselves for the whole world before he comes on the scene is in bondage. And he gathers out from bondage on the eve of destruction, the strength of the Lord's house, and then ultimately all Israel. 
to say to the captives, come forth, and to those in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the way and find pasture on all barren heights. So this is talking about not only the exodus, but the exoduses that will be led under the leadership of Joseph Smith, and that the Lord will provide for the needs of his people, that they will not be in a destitute state like the rest of the people of the earth. Verse 10, they shall not hunger or thirst, nor be smitten by the heat wave or the sun. He who has mercy on them will guide them. He will lead them by springs of water. You know, having references back to Moses's exodus out of Egypt of the children of Israel. And that the staff and crutch will the end time servant have. He will be able to provide, you know, both food and water for those on the end time exodus, even though there will be famine and the earth will be scorched. All my mountain ranges will I appoint as roads. Now, mountains in Isaiah are uh, countries. So among all countries, among all peoples, there will be exoduses that will be led out of them as God gathers his people into both new and old Jerusalems. See these coming from afar, these from the northwest and these from the land of Sinim. Shout for joy, O heavens, celebrate, O earth, burst into song, O mountains or nations. Jehovah is comforting his people showing compassion for his afflicted. But Zion said, Jehovah has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And this is because even people at the Zion Jerusalem level go into bondage for a period of time. Can a woman forget her suckling infant or feel no compassion for the child of her womb? Although these shall forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms I have sealed you to be continually before me. And as a cross-reference, back in DNC 101. And verse 56, go ye straightway unto the land of my vineyard, redeem my vineyard, for it is mine. I have bought it with money. Or verse 16 in Isaiah 49, I have engraved you on the palms. I have sealed you to be continually before me. And picking up in verse 22, thus says my Lord Jehovah, I will lift up my hand to the nations. Um, the lifted hand being the Lord's end time servant, raise my ensign, the Lord's end time servant again to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their bosoms and carry your daughters on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers, queens, your nursing mothers. Again, we have this idea that you know, the kings and queens of the Gentiles or those who ascend to um, the level of God's little G, even the sons and daughters of God, big G, as we read in the NC 76, will be sent out from New Jerusalem to finish the gathering. They will bow down before you, their faces to the ground. They will lick up the dust of your feet. Then shall you know that I am Jehovah and that they who hope in me are not disappointed. Can the warrior's spoil be taken from him or the tyrant's captives escape free? Well, these people have been uh, sealed to 
you know, the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood. And then as we read in Helaman chapter 10, they have power over the elements. And wherever the Lord's captive people are, have the power to deliver them out of bondage. Yet thus says Jehovah, the warrior's spoil shall indeed be taken from him. And the tyrant's captives escape free. I myself will contend with your contenders and I will deliver your children. I will feed your oppressors their own flesh. They shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. And all flesh shall know that I, Jehovah, am your savior. That your redeemer is the valiant one of Jacob. Now, as a cross-reference. Um, History of the Church, Volume 5, page 401. Joseph said, I am like a huge rough stone rolling down from a high mountain. And the only polishing I get is when some corner gets rubbed off by coming in contact with something else, striking with accelerated force against religious bigotry, priestcraft, lawyercraft, doctorcraft, lying editors, suborned judges and jurors, and the authority of perjured executives backed by mobs, blasphemers, licentious, and corrupt men and women. All hell knocking off a corner here and a corner there. Thus, I will become a smooth and polished shaft in the quiver of the Almighty, who will give me dominion over all. And every one of them, when the refuge of lies shall fail, and their hiding place shall be destroyed, while these smooth polished stones which come, uh, with which I come in contact become marred. So, um, Joseph here is giving us a clue uh, about his role as the end time servant, where he says, thus I will become a smooth and polished shaft in the quiver of the Almighty. And so if we go back to Isaiah 49, 1 and 1 Nephi 21, 1, speaking of the Lord's end time servants, Verse 2 of 1 Nephi 21. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath hid me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me. And Joseph said, I will become a smooth and polished shaft in the quiver of the Almighty. Not that he had already become such, but he would become such referring to his second ministry. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Or the members, starting with members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And in JST Isaiah 42, starting in verse 19 and going through verse 22. For I will send my servant unto you who are blind, yea, a messenger to open the eyes of the blind and unstop the ears of the deaf. And they shall be made perfect, notwithstanding their blindness. If they will hearken unto the messenger, the Lord's servant, thou art a people seeing many things, but thou observest not opening the ears to hear, but thou hearest not. The Lord is not well pleased with such a people. This is talking directly to the Latter-day Saints. The Lord is not well pleased with such people. 
but for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. Thou art a people robbed and spoiled. Thine enemies, all of them, have snared thee in holes and have hid thee in prison houses. They have taken thee for a prey and none delivereth for a spoil and none saith restore. And again, I reference the email that was sent out a few weeks ago about trusting in government and medical authorities and get the vaccine, which is part of the mark of the beast. I bear you my witness that Joseph Smith is the Lord's end time servant, that he has returned, that he has opened again the heavens, that by entering into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, it is possible to receive again the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, which has not been possible since the days of Joseph Smith's first ministry. And that by hearkening unto the voice of the Lord after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, by feasting upon his words, we might be instructed about how to part the veil and enter into the rest of the Lord. That the conditions are now being set up for the bondage that the people of the whole world will go into. And some peoples are in varying degrees of that bondage even at this time. And the mark of death is moving speedily among us. But the strength of the Lord's house are the Lord's people, and they know his voice. And by entering into the new covenant, will be qualified as the strength of the Lord's house to be led out on that end time exodus, to establish new Jerusalem, and from new Jerusalem be sent to the four corners of the earth to finish the gathering of Israel in final preparation for the return of Jesus Christ in his glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.